Okay, kids, time for Super Church. And good morning to everybody else. Man, it's good to be home. Beth and I and our kids and our grandkids had a great trip to Illinois to see my parents, but uh, it's good to be home. Good to be able to sleep in your own bed. That's really nice, actually, but sure appreciate your prayers and thankful for you and thankful for our church. I don't know that you guys, I don't know sometimes, I think we take it for granted to have a church that's a blessing, to have people that love each other and try to walk with each other. And honestly, I want to grow. I want us to grow. And not just numerically, I want us to grow to learn to love each other better and to walk together better and to be faithful to God in all that we do. So keep praying about that. <clears throat> you know, it's always, a, it's always an exciting time to kind of think about Jesus. I, I don't care what day it is. Obviously, as we get closer to Christmas, we want to think about his birth and what that means. And, you know, really each year I kind of try to spend some time asking the Lord, what do you want me to share um, during this season? And, and obviously there's lots of things to share about Christ from the Old Testament, New Testament in different ways. But Lord really put it on my heart this, this year to talk about why Jesus came. I mean, you know, there's just some simple things we should think about because they're not, they're not really simple. I mean, I know we kind of relegate life sometimes to simplicity, but when it comes to Christ and what he came for, it's not really simple. It's pretty powerful. And obviously, Jesus came to save us from our sins. There's, there's no, no doubt about that. Matthew one twenty one is clear. It says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so we, we can talk about that, and it's all part of what Christ came for, but, but God really laid it on my heart this year to, to look at some things that the Old Testament says about promises that God made and how Christ impacts those promises and, and what God's plan was for him to come. And, and this morning, I want to talk about the fact that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And I'm pretty sure I've never preached a sermon about Christ destroying the works of the devil during Christmas before, nor maybe ever. But uh, it's some... It's some humbling things because, you know, whether we like to really admit it or not, uh, we live in a, a pretty nasty world. I know <clears throat> most of us kind of go, well, pastor, don't say that stuff. I've I literally had plenty of people over the years come up and say, pastor, don't say that stuff. The world I live in isn't that bad. And you know, things that I experience aren't that bad, and we shouldn't talk about the bad things that are in this world. And, <clears throat> and I guess if you want to hide your head in the sand, and if you really want to put your head in the sand so that you don't have to see what's taking place around us, so that you can somehow convince yourself that things aren't hard and things aren't difficult and things aren't wicked and things aren't evil and that people aren't suffering and people aren't dying and people aren't devouring one another. If you want to hide your head in the sand and say that without any kind of answer, without any kind of perspective and without any kind of hope, you can do that, but you will not be better off. You will not be because this world is evil there's a reason for it, and there really is a reason for hope in the midst of it. And so that's why Christ came, right? So we're going to look over in Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> we're going to start with just verse 15. 
If you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, uh, read along with me, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, the more that we learn of who you are through your word, the more glorious you become. And the more we're willing to look at difficult things in this world with you in relationship to them, the more hope and strength and peace and life and salvation we have. And I pray that this morning, Lord, as we look at you coming to destroy the works of the devil, that we would learn some things Not just about the way things work in our world, but how good you are and how loving you are and the kind of plan you have for us and for this world. And that, Lord, for those that don't know Christ as Savior today, that today they would be saved. And for those of us that know him, Lord, we would grow and that we wouldn't play games with you and we wouldn't hide our heads in the sand, but we would would see And we would be a part of what you're doing in this world. And Lord, I pray that you'll bless this time we have together. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we we start here in Genesis chapter 3 because it it is literally the first promise in the Bible of God bringing victory into this world. And we'll look at this passage and this verse in a little more in just a minute. But it's it's an amazing thing to start in the book of Genesis. It's just an amazing thing. And, and if you look at Genesis chapter one, verses 26 through 28, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created them in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Sixth day creation, the last part of God's creation, men and women created in his image for his glory, created to be the ones that rule over every other creature that he created and over all the earth. And I mean, you begin to think about this and put this into perspective and it begins to remind us of the value that we have in God's eyes. I mean, there's such value for you and for me. We're not insignificant. We're not happenstance. We're not accidental. We didn't come out of some primordial slime. We were created by the living God for a purpose, for his glory, and the world was glorious. I mean, there was no sin in this world. And so the Bible begins with this incredible creation from God and talking about us and how we were specifically made in his image for his glory. Then we move over to Genesis chapter 2, 15 through 17. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, eat from it, you will surely die. In other words, the simple process here is God says to Adam, he hasn't created Eve yet. He says, I want you to be in this garden. I want you to be in my presence. 
I want you to have eternal life because eternal life is a pure relationship with the Lord God Almighty with nothing separating it. So you can live in this garden, you can tend this garden, but you can have all the food you want freely. All you have to do is choose to love me. You've got everything you're gonna need. Imagine now, no guilt, no shame, no sickness, no dying, no suffering, no separation from God, no fear, no shame, no need, no want, no disappointment, just life with God. God says, you have it. You can, that's what I want for you. Have it. Have all this garden and me. All the blessings I have for you are right here. Just choose to love me. Because if you sin against me and eat off of that tree, you'll lose it all. You'll lose it all. It's not a bad setup, right? That's, how many of you would like that setup? Man, you should want that setup. This world's hard. We lost it all, right? Because you get over to chapter three and read along with me in chapter three, beginning of verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the, man, to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And I read this passage and every single time I read this passage, I'm reminded that the most devastating day lost a loved one, that's difficult, but it's nothing compared to this one. Wasn't the day that you heard you were diagnosed with cancer, that's devastating, but not like this one. It wasn't the day you lost your job, it wasn't the day you lost a child, it wasn't, those are devastating things, but there isn't anything that compares to this. I mean, we need to understand what this meant. They went from all those blessings. They went from that perfect peace with God. They, meant, they went from that perfect security, that sure hope, that endless joy, that wonder and amazement of having a relationship with the living God where he would speak to them and there was no guilt and no shame and no sorrow and no regret no hatred, no bitterness, no anger, and no sickness and no dying. They went from perfection, 
life to death. They were ashamed in each other's presence and they were ashamed in God's presence. They had died spiritually. And the ugliness of it begins in verse one where we're introduced to this serpent. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. Now he was obviously created by God because it says which the Lord God had made. But there's a, a clue to this serpent that tells us there's something more to him and the clue is that he's crafty. And we ultimately find out through the word of God that he's a great serpent of old. He's actually the devil. He's actually Satan. Even though the Bible never specifically says that. We have some clues in this passage to help us. I mean, back to chapter 3, verse 15, it's this understanding that there's going to be an ongoing war between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And we get this understanding that this serpent is more than just a temporary beast like the rest of the beasts. He's more than that. In chapter 3, verse 14, the Lord speaks to him like he's a personal being because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field and on your belly you will go and the dust you will eat all the days of your life. It's a personal being. It's, it's not just an animal. It's not just cattle. Another clue would be the fact that he spoke. There's nowhere else aside from the donkey that spoke there where an animal ever spoke. I mean, there's something animated and personal and living about this serpent. And beyond all that, this role that the serpent plays here in Genesis chapter 3 is very much like all the rest of the adversary that's spoken of in the scriptures. And let me give you an example, because we'll talk more about it later. But in John eight forty four, Jesus rebuked the Jewish religious leaders, and he said, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. In other words, Jesus is describing exactly what we see from this serpent here in Genesis chapter 3. There's paradise, there's heaven, there's relationship with God, there's sinlessness and, and purity holiness and righteousness until the serpent comes. And what does the serpent want to do? He wants to destroy. He wants to kill them, right? So what then does he do? He lies. He twists what God says and he, he brings Eve to this great temptation. And when they eat of the fruit, they die. And so we suddenly see this personality of the devil being shown here in this serpent and it's not the serpent here this is the devil in the garden tempting Adam and Eve as a matter of fact Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16 23 when Jesus said hey I got to go to Jerusalem I'm going to be arrested I'm going to be crucified etc Peter said Lord may it never be and Jesus said to him get behind me Satan you're a stumbling block to me for you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. In other words, what he's telling Peter is you're not demon-possessed, 
but you're unwittingly playing the role that the devil plays and has played from the beginning. You're not interested about God's interest. You're interested about rebelling against God. And so get behind me, he says, because God's interest is that I go to Jerusalem and that I do die, by the way, to destroy the works of the devil. And so we begin to see that this being in the garden really is the devil. And what's crazy about it is when we find him in chapter 3, verse 15, God is pronouncing a judgment on the serpent, the devil, for what he's done. And those things, when he talks about him crawling on the ground and eating the dust, we're talking about, if you will, symbolically talking about what God has done to the devil. He's humiliated him. He's caused him to slither along the ground. He's caused him to be in a place of subjugation. He's caused him to be in a place of humiliation and embarrassment and eating the dust of the ground. I mean, the serpent is still in this place of subjugation today, and yet he's still, if you will, slithering around, right? And so then the Lord brings this curse upon him, and he says to him, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And, man, I, I begin to, to recognize, like, there's this battle going on. He's talking about this battle. He's talking about a battle that took place between the serpent and Eve initially, but then he talks about the battle that goes on between the serpent's seed and Eve's seed. And it's a long battle. It's a lifelong battle. And it's a battle for life. And God says, I've put this battle between the two of you. I've set this enmity between the two of you. And I've got to tell you, it's this, it's this reality that we face in this world that we don't want to face and we don't want to admit to that there is a battle between what God seeks to accomplish and what the devil would seek to accomplish because the seed is really the works that he has and the people that would work for him or the people that would work for the Lord in his ways. And so he, he tells him there's gonna be this lifelong battle and, and man... <sighs> If you look, I mean, if you look, if you pay any attention, I, I don't necessarily say I, I blame us sometimes for not paying attention to the battle around us because, I mean, we live in a pretty wicked world. If you turned on a computer screen or a TV screen today or brought up your news feed on your phone you could read of the thousands and thousands and thousands that are dying in the conflict between Israel and Hamas right now. And listen, man, there's nothing but evil in most of that. There's wretchedness at so many levels in that. And if you don't grieve over that, I don't know why. We've heard so much about the Ukraine that we don't even grieve over those that are losing their lives now today in Ukraine and those battles. And of course, there's so much other evil going on in this world. And some of us go, well, you know, that doesn't really impact us, so I don't really think about that. And if I thought about that, I'd, I'd have a bad day. Listen, don't look so far away then. Don't look so far away. 
Man, I know people tell me, don't talk about this stuff, Pastor, because, you know, we're really here to be built up. And, and basically what they tell me is, we're really here for you to come make us feel good. Well, if you've been here for very long, that's, that's not necessarily the way this goes sometimes. I wish it were true. I wish I could just make you feel good every Sunday. I really do. Lord knows. Lord knows. If all I could say to you is, man, God is good and he loves us and there's never a worry and there's never a trial and there's never a battle. I wish I could do that. I wish I could put a fake smile on my face for you and tell you some lies like so many guys do. I wish I could. But it's not true. And the thing is, is we know it. Because right here in our city, unspeakable things happen. Unspeakable things happen. Children are raped and abused in our city. People commit murder in our city. There's domestic violence in our city all the time. Men, families are destroyed in our city. And men or women are filled with hatred and bitterness and anger and despair. And the most vile things fill their hearts and their minds and they come out of their mouth. And they don't even know. They don't even know that all those years ago when this devil that we're talking about twisted and manipulated and tempted Eve to eat and then she gave to Adam to eat the man when they ate and they died evil just blew into this world and it's still blowing. And sometimes I, and sometimes I don't know what to do with it. I mean, honestly, it's in my heart. I know the answers. I do know the answer. It's the reason I still stay and stand and speak and serve and go. But sometimes the, the wickedness I mean, there's times when I just am like, Lord, it's too wicked. I, I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see the people that are spewing it. I don't want to. Let me go back home. Let me go back to church. Let me put my fake smile on. Let me pay attention to or ignore the, the realities of the evil in this world. And, and I'll, I'll be all rosy and all happy, Right? Isn't that what we really want, to ignore it all so that we don't have to? Well, number one, acknowledge it, and number two, do anything about it. Isn't that right? I mean, the Bible says that God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. This word enmity is an intense word Scriptures speak of an enmity between nations that come to war against each other and want to kill each other and take over the other nation. That's the kind of enmity or hatred that God puts between the devil and the seed of the woman. The Bible speaks, and I didn't write all these verses down because I'm going to share a lot more verses today. I didn't have time to write them all down. But the Bible speaks about enmity between one man and another man that causes one man to kill the other man. This enmity... It's not a joke. 
It's not insignificant. The evil in our world has been placed there by God and set at odds part of the death that happened when Adam and Eve sinned against God and they died. So there's this enmity that's there and it's a battle. And he says, because of this enmity between you and and the serpent and between your seed and her seed, there's gonna come a time Right where God puts it to an end. But let me just read some scripture here because this battle is not unclear in the New Testament. Let me just ask you to think about yourself. I want to ask you, are you in the battle against evil? Are you in the battle against evil? Because Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12 says, Finally be strong in the Lord, And in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Isn't that crazy? That's an incredibly famous verse, passage. And yet so many of us, we're not in the battle. We haven't, we haven't armored up. We don't understand the battle that takes place in the spiritual realms. Matter of fact, as I was preaching this morning, first service, I thought about Daniel. And Daniel, he's asking God to show him the answers to what's going to happen in the future. And, and the Bible says that, that the angel Gabriel finally shows up to Daniel. And he says to Daniel, God sent me 21 days ago. But while I was on the way, the prince of Persia opposed me. Now, this isn't on earth. This is in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly places, somewhere we don't even know. Then this spiritual angel, if you will, the prince of Persia, the prince of darkness, if you will, opposes God's angel, God's spokesman angel, God's powerful angel, to the place where Michael, the archangel, the captain of, of, the, of the, the armies of God, had to come help Gabriel get through. Now you answer me if our battles aren't a little bit higher than what we want them to be sometimes. I mean, I don't even know how to explain that. How can God's angel not just walk on through doing God's business, but know this, there's a fight. There's a fight because there's evil in this world and there's an enemy that's out there working not just in our lives, but in our world's life, in our city's life, in our state's life. And it's a crazy influence that this devil has. I mean, the truth be known is that the Bible says here that eventually, right, between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. In other words, God gives us this incredible promise. And the promise is that that while this battle is taking place, there's going to come a day where this battle ends. This word bruise can mean strike or crush. But either way you want to read this or translate this word, it is the exact same Hebrew word. So, There is this striking from the devil. There is this crushing from the seed of the woman. And it's just simple picture, right? God just said, snake, you're going to be slithering along the ground and he's going to be striking at your heel because he's slithering. So he's striking at the seed of the woman. Now the seed of the woman is Jesus Christ, by the way. And we see that in Galatians chapter three. I believe it's verse 16. We'll talk about it next week. But the picture is, is Christ is going to crush his head, right? That's the picture. It's not a hard picture. 
the, how we know the victories won is by, we, by where they strike, right? The snake strikes down low, but the Lord, he crushes his head. He wins the victory. And so we have this incredible understanding that there's going to be victory. We know how the victory came. That's why Jesus came. He came to live a sinless life, die on a cross as a sacrifice for our sins, and rise on the third day. That's where the victory comes from. But the battle continues. Matter of fact, that's where the problem is for most of us. I mean, for most of us, we don't see the battle, and yet the battle started basically right away. I mean, Adam and Eve fall into sin, and then in chapter 4, the Bible tells us that their sons, Cain and Abel, offer sacrifices before the Lord, and the Lord has regard for Abel's sacrifice, and he has no regard for Cain's sacrifice, and Cain gets mad. Well, this is what God says to him. Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Now, he's talking about personal sin, but he's also talking about this influence, right? The same influence that Eve had experienced from the serpent, the same influence that says, man, don't master it, get angry, take things into your own hand, let evil prevail, and God says, don't do that, master it, or it is going to prevail against you. It's going to win against you. And it did, because Cain killed his brother. And man, first generation, the works of the serpent are being seen, and evil is penetrating into our world. But it didn't stop there. Let me read you some scriptures, because it's important. First Chronicles 21.1 says, Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Now, the deal was, is God told the kings not to, not to number their troops because it wasn't the troops that brought victory to Israel. It was God. And if you numbered your troops, you were going to be taking pride in yourself and what you could do without trusting on God. And the Bible says that the devil, Satan, rose up against, did you hear it? Against Israel, not against David. The devil wanted to destroy Israel, not just David, but because he wanted to destroy Israel, he influenced David. David gave in, gave in to the temptation, sent Joab out against his wishes to number Israel, and at the end of the day, 70,000 people died because of the evil that David gave in to. Well, it goes on. Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came along, came among, also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking about on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Do you know what happened? 
in one day, raiders came in and they stole all of his cattle and they killed all his servants. They stole all of his sheep. They killed all his servants. They stole all of his camels. He killed all his servants. They stole all of his donkeys and killed all his servants. And then they killed in one day, his 10 children died in one day, all of it in one day. All because the devil was like, I'm going to destroy this guy. And you haven't given him the chance to stand without you. Let's see if he trusts you, Lord. You think the devil's not working? You think evil's not being unleashed in this world? Zechariah 3, 1 and 2, one of my favorite passages. says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And we see the picture of the devil standing before God, accusing men before God, trying to say to God, he's not worthy of you, and you don't deserve him, and you don't deserve her. And God's like, I rebuke you, Satan. Is this not one that I saved from the fire? And then he tells him, take off his dirty clothes and put on clean clothes and put on a clean turban. But the devil's about destroying us. He's about destroying our relationship with God. The New Testament, in Matthew 4, 1, it says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Matthew 13 37 through 39, and he said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seeds, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. And Jesus tells a very specific understanding that those who deny Christ and walk without God are seeds of the devil planted in this world to wreak havoc and cause problems and bring down those who know Christ and those who know him are of Christ, right? The good harvest. Luke twenty two thirty one and 32 says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What did Satan want for Peter. He wanted to sift him like wheat. He wanted him out. He wanted him to die and be destroyed. But don't you love the fact that Jesus said, but I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you and once you return, man, you strengthen your brothers. John 13, 2. So during the supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, And in verse 27 of that same chapter, it says, after the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. So the devil is working even in bringing Christ to the cross and betraying him. Do you get the picture? The picture's not pretty. The picture's not casual. The picture is this understanding that there really is this life and death battle that's taking place in the spiritual realms. 
that we're not just fighting against people, that we can't just isolate ourselves in our houses and keep ourselves safe from the things that are happening around this world, that there is a wickedness that's taking place in this world that has to be dealt with and has to be overcome and has to be brought light into. And you and I, man, we can hide in our heads all that we want to, but every time we look up, we see this brokenness and this wretchedness and this hurt and this pain and this loss and this death that's taking place and we don't seem to think there's anything we can do about it and it's not true we can do much about it but we won't do anything about it if we keep hiding if we keep denying if we keep refusing the truth of the matter is is that man you and I, if you know Christ, we are as secure as secure can be. There's nothing that can be done to us. There's nothing that can hurt us. There's nothing that can overcome us because of Christ in us. And sometimes we actually think that there's not evil things even close to us, but, but I, can, I can rest assured you know this. Because just the other night I was talking with some guys that they're pretty tough, they're pretty vile, they're pretty nasty. I mean, I'd, I'd had some pretty tough encounters with some of these guys just in how vile their hearts are and what comes out of their mouth. And at some point in time, after I'd prayed through some stuff, I have this opportunity, it's just this weird opportunity, and it comes up about this evil and about the weirdness of some of the people that's going on. I said to them, do you not know that some of this is demonic influence? And they're like, no, they're not Christians. I'm like, have you ever seen it? Like, uh, they don't even know if they want to talk to me about it. And I said, well, here's the deal. I said, I've seen it. I've seen a person try to stab someone, speak with different voices and different personalities. I've had to hold this person to the ground more than once. More than once. I'm holding them on the ground. Here's my prayer. This is what I told these, these rough guys. I said, I had nothing for this person. I'm holding them on the ground and I'm saying, Lord Jesus, please help this person. Because I can't do a thing for them. But I know you can. Do you know where that happened? Most of you go, it must have been Africa, right? No, right over there in my office. Right over there. The second time it happened, this person trusted Christ. And they're in church today, I almost guarantee it. When they got saved, they went to church with their sister. I could tell you the church, I could tell you who it is, I know where they are. They've been serving Jesus ever since. But the person before Christ was broken. Evil had overcome their life. Story was wretched. But you know, we, we, don't, we don't think it really happens, right? We put our head back in the sand like it's not happening in Casper and people aren't enslaved in Casper and there's nothing to worry about in Casper because it's just a nice little Wyoming town, right? 
It's everywhere. I grew up in Fairbury, Illinois. Most people find that kind of funny. It is a nice little town. I always liked my nice little town. It was pretty peaceful, pretty safe. But there was nastiness in my town too, right? Still is. We were just there. And that nastiness was put in effect by this liar. And Jesus, he put it the best in John 10.10. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Do you hear that? The thief came. He's here. Steal, kill, destroy. But Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And man, I love the truth from God's word as we look at why Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. In Galatians 4, 4, it says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of what? Born of a woman, born of Eve, right? Or not Eve, but of Mary. But born of the woman that God promised the seed would come from, born under the law. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Isn't that a powerful verse? He came to render powerless the one who had the power of death, the devil, And he's not talking about the devil having the power to kill or having the power to bring judgment. That's God's job. It's appointed once on the man to die and then the judgment. That's God's job. But what he's saying is the devil has the power to twist and to lie and to manipulate just like he did Eve. And he convinces us that we don't need Jesus. And he convinces us that God's not real. And he convinces us that evil isn't real. And he convinces us that we don't have to be a part of this and that we don't have to stand firm. We don't have to pray. We don't have to share. He convinces us, right? And when he convinces us, people die. It's just that way. If people don't have Christ in their life, they die. They die and go to hell. They're dead already, the Bible says. Man, they're condemned already because they haven't believed in Jesus Christ. And here we are convinced that there's no evil in this world. So we don't have to stand. We don't have to pray. We don't have to teach the word. And we don't have to protect our children. We don't have to take stances. Just let the devil go. And people die. And Jesus came to render him powerless. Man. Don't you think Jesus is some nice little baby in a nativity scene? He's the power to give life and to protect and to deliver. 1 John 3, 7 and 8 says, Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Isn't that clear? He who sins is of the devil. He who rebels against God is of the devil. I know we don't like to say that. I know. Trust me, I know. I know that, man, if we didn't have to speak truth, we'd all be far more comfortable. But there's truth. There's truth. 
But Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. How does he do it? How does he destroy the works of the devil? One person at a time. Jesus came, the sinless one, and willingly laid his life down on that cross, and he took our sin and the punishment that we deserve for it, and he died and, and took all that we deserved, and then he rose again to defeat the works of the devil. And there's nothing else in this world that's going to do it. Nothing else. Standing up and trumpeting your cause politically, economically, any other way is not going to defeat the works of the devil. Making sure that you're the best person while ignoring God is not going to defeat the works of the devil. The things that are going to defeat the works of the devil is going to be the gospel that you share with people, the stances that you take, and the love that you offer to people in Jesus' name to care enough about people to care and stand and speak. Because it's going to be Christ. Ultimately, it's going to be Christ. Man, on the cross, when he died, he stomped the head of that devil and crushed him. And one of these days, the devil's going to be cast in the lake of fire, Revelation tells us. His time is limited. But until then, right, he's been turned loose on this world. And he is devouring and he is tempting. Man, First Peter tells us he's like a roaring lion roaming about seeking someone to devour. But we can resist him firm in our faith, the Bible says, right? Because we have Christ in us. You know what's really crazy is that there's so many people that they may not be evil. I mean, they may be a nice next door neighbor. They may be just sweet and loving, but they're being destroyed by their sin. I talked to a person the other night. We were talking about a particular sin. I was talking about a particular sin of mine. And they said, that sin does not make you a bad person. This is a sin I committed many years ago. I said, well, you can say it doesn't make me a bad person, but God says it's offensive to him and the consequences that came from that sin in my life were devastating. Do you know anybody in sin? Do you know anybody rejecting God? Are they nice people to you? I hope you love them. I hope you treat them with incredible respect. I hope you do. I don't care who they are. But they're devastated by that sin. The consequences are grave. And Jesus, in this simple little verse in Acts 10, 38, says, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Jesus, he cared about people's physical needs, but he cared far more about setting them free from this hold that the devil has on people, the hold that says, deny God, deny Christ, live your own way, do your own thing. The same result that happened to Eve and Adam is happening today. People are dying because they're separated from God without hope in their hearts, without peace and without life. You and I, if you're a follower of Christ, the response is to be the light in this world. It is to be the light. 
is to actually realize that evil is in this world and we, we have the answer. We have the hope. We have the one who overcomes. We have the one who came to destroy the works of the devil and he did. And the way we impact this world is one person at a time, one individual at a time as we share Christ with them and they come to know Christ and the evil then is changed exponentially person by person. But we've got to care. We've got to care. We've got to stop hiding our heads in the sand and we've got to look around and go, that guy, he's filled with evil and he's not a jerk. I don't have to hate his guts. I don't have to avoid him. I have to love him. I have to love him. I'm going to stay and love this guy because Christ loves him. I'm going to stay and love this woman because Christ loves her. I'm going to stay that Christ might, through my witness and my testimony and my love, destroy the works of the devil. Amen? Some of you, you're here and you need to trust Jesus. You need to trust Jesus. You know you're empty. You know you're broken. You know there's garbage that's overwhelming you and hurting you and you see it. And I love the ones that claim to be so insightful to say, why would God let such bad things happen and let such evil things happen in this world? They're so insightful when they say that. And they're ridiculously blind. Evil is here because of sin. And the one who saves from sin is Christ. Man, if you need Jesus today, call on him. He promises that if you'll trust him by faith, he'll save you. Jesus came not to be a sweet little baby in a manger. He came to stomp the head of the devil, and he fulfilled that. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. Thankful for your word. Lord, it hurts me deeply to see those that are walking in slavery to the devil, denying you, rejecting you, working against you, rebelling. Lord God, please be merciful. Draw them to Christ. Help us love them. Help us care for them. Help us go to them. Reach out to them. Witness to them. Help us share the hope that we have in Jesus because there is no greater hope. There's no other answer. And I pray, Lord God, you'd begin to transform our city and then our state and then our nation and our world. And Lord God, I pray for those who have never trusted you that today they put their faith in you and that they have life, Lord. And Lord, I love you and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.